Nerd Alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. Hi, Arjun. Hi, Kent. Hey, first show. We're here. It's good. What do you got? You got a run sheet for us? You're going to do us an <laughs> intro? We're going to cover everything about everything? Made everything, but I, I thought I'd start off with 2021. We were in it and... You know, um, we've come off a roller coaster of a year, 2020. It's all normal for me. I sit in a room, locked away. You know, Zoom's become normal. So actually 2020 was my friend. Most people have got the shits with 2020, but it worked for me because suddenly this uh, you know, weird nerdy thing sitting in a room all day long is totally acceptable. Well, see, where I knew time was flying for me was uh, Lakers won their 2020 championship and then all of a sudden the new season started. So... That is a whirlwind. Well, that's good for you, but the Roosters lost, so that's all that matters, <laughs> right? The Roosters lost. There is no other sport. There's no other team. The Roosters lost. Well, mate, I can't talk too much about that, but what I can talk a lot about is the property nerds. We are here. What's the property nerds? Well, mate, let's get started with how I guess all of this came together and uh, the background of the property nerds and, you know, personally, a whole bunch of investing mixed with a whole bunch of property buying as a buyer's agent, came together and my love for data, I guess, led myself along over to you as well and now our numerous catch-ups and the nerds came along. So it's 2021, Arjun. When did you first become a buyer's agent? Now time, uh, 2018 was when I started the buyer's agency. So it's fresh. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years in now. It's good. You started young. <laughs> And before that, what, first first investment property back in 2015. So, you know, five years, six years now, as soon as 2021's come along. So that's all coming together as well. Cool. What did you do before becoming a buyer's agent? I oh, wasn't a whole, whole load of fun. Uh, banking, but something similar, close to it. In mortgages, did you get exposure to the mortgage space? Yeah. So I had a lot of time in the branch network, branch managing, mortgages, financial planning, mixture of all of those things. And managing both directly and indirectly before jumping up into the support office and strategizing and, and having a whole bunch of coffees before getting out into the property world. Arjun, what branch? Where, branch, branch. Yeah. Branch, branch, yeah. Which which one? Marrickville, Newtown, Surrey Hills, so oh, the inner west. Inner west. So the market would have been, or oh, it's been booming there for a long time, but Newtown, Hipsterville. Yeah. <laughs> I, let's just say I had every choice of coffee available. Yeah. Did you go to King Street or? Yeah, we're actually, our branch was on that. So that was, uh, King Street was where it all started for the Newtown branch and before that, Marrickville Road for Marrickville and and I think Surrey Hills was uh, Crown Street. So all the main hubs. You did. All the food. Terrace houses. What about you, Kent? How did this all come together? I became fascinated with property data out of necessity. I was Back in 1998-99, I was running the underwriting team for Gemworth Financial. Back then it was called GE Mortgage Insurance. And we had several hundred property valuations coming in today. A lot of them probably from you at Newtown at the CBA there. So a lot of CBA bank. But we had all these valuations coming through. And the underwriting team 
were now experiencing a lot of centralization. So there's a lot of mortgage lending happening, but centralized. So your underwriter was suddenly processing valuations from Queensland, from Adelaide, you name it. Some of your favorite suburbs you'll probably cover later from Adelaide. But ultimately, we needed to build some tools to give us some comfort and understanding and appreciation of what we were processing for valuation. So GE at that time were great. They sponsored me to go over to Canada and to the US and meet up with some experienced uh, people who understood automated valuation models, AVMs, and they taught me that. And I went back to school, drove up to Macquarie there and studied some stats subjects and learned how AVMs work. So that was kind of the lead in. And from there, I jumped into a company called PriceFinder. And there was a handful of us that uh, launched that company and built it up and took a lot of subscribers away from the incumbent at the time. So we did okay. And then from there, I jumped across to the competitor, to RP Data. So I was heading up their banking platforms and analytics team. And then the final chapter in the RP Data days was um, a stint up in China. So we tried to create RP Data in China with a partner. And that was a fascinating 18-month, nearly two-year period where I got to see a lot of big places and lots of people. So I guess if anything's come out of our introductions, it's our love for data. It's our our journey through data and property investing and all the the experiences that come with it. And so Kent, you know, we're we're here episode one, and I guess if we're going to give a shout out to, hey, who's this for? Who is this property nerds podcast for? What would you say? Well, I'd say we've got the investor class, but equally buyers agents, people like yourself. They're certainly a a part of the industry that's fascinated with property data. So certainly with the buyers agents or BAs, as we like to call them, they have an affinity with the market. They understand the data, but they also have this passion for property. So I think buyers agents are big. The investor class is big, specifically people who've already got an investment property, you know, not just people looking to buy today, but I think it's really designed around the people who, who may already have a property and want to understand what's going on. And we've created a website to back up this podcast with lots of trends information. So if you do have an investment property, visit thepropertynerds.com.au. That's our website. We've got a whole data hub there. We've called it lots of data there to help you understand. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're an investor, we want you to go back to the website and look at these trends. So it becomes a little bit more meaningful, a little personal because you can put in your particular location. So that's a biggie. So I think the investor class is big. And probably the the third market that, that jumps at me are property developers, you know, specifically the smaller guys, whereas the big ones have their research sorted, have their data generally sorted. But there's a, a very large sector of property developers out there that might be doing you know, duplexes or fix and flips right through to a small townhome. So for that particular audience, I think it's good to understand what some of the risks are and what the market might look like in 12 to 18 months' time by the time your project's finished. So they're some of the audiences that jump at me. What about you, Arjun? Property investors, property buyers, property professionals, property developers, totally agree. And I guess you know what really hit me was the fact that When I look around what's out there, I think the data can sometimes be missing. And this is what we really set it up for, right? This is what it's all about, just to make sure that we can really bring that forward, eliminate some of the guesswork, eliminate, say, the what if, I think, could it, I guess, and just really say, hey, this is happening. 
Yeah, I think talking to the data is always good, takes the emotion out of it. I think a lot of decisions are made on emotion. That's where you make mistakes. I've made plenty without having adequate data. So I think that was probably led me down the path of having data, making very bad investment decisions with my own properties because I didn't use data adequately. So I think, you know, I've learned the hard way. You, yeah. You've made some good decisions. I've made some bad ones. Oh, look, I can't say all my decisions are perfect, but the learning definitely comes. And and if I feel where the learning comes from, I think, you know, where it starts is is what we call the science of property investing. Mm. And I think if we'd really like to start on something with episode one is, is really give listeners out there what we feel is the science of property investing and the importance of it. So when you think of the nerd's definition of the science investing, what do you put it down to? I think there's some key metrics. You know, the data is what drives a lot of these decisions. And ultimately, there are some key metrics that we like to zero in on. But before we get there, we look at the data, we look at the data that goes into and feeds these measures. So, you know, property data is an important thing to understand that there are uh, nuances at a suburb level that may not necessarily be as problematic at a larger region. So there's a couple of key things I wanted to focus on. Number one is understand what a median is, understand where it falls over and understand some of the limitations of doing all your measurements at a suburb level. So that's why we fold those suburbs up or group them up collectively into something called a statistical area level three. So that's our go-to, our little comfortable corner. So the SA3, as we call it, Statistical Area 3, it's designed by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. We'll just call it ABS from now on. The ABS has done a great job, lots of terrific data. And what we've done is we've aligned our property data to those SA3s. And the beauty of that then is when we start to do measures like a median, it starts to behave. It starts to look normal. Whereas when we do it at a suburb level, more often than not, it does not look normal. It's all over the place. It's jumping around. It's high, it's low, it's high, it's low. So there's a lot of volatility in that. So that's probably the biggie is, you know, understanding the data that goes in, understanding the geographies and some of those essential things that we will talk to throughout the podcast. Yeah. And I think um, what you've really explained there with regards to the science is actually just making sure we start at the right level. Yes. Because, you know, far too often when you think of those barbecue discussions, it's, hey, what's the hot suburb, Ken? Can you tell us that hot suburb? Yeah, it drives me nuts, right? The hot list, the hot suburbs. Yeah, and what it is, it's a rear view mirror view of the suburbs where the medians have jumped the highest. So, you know, a few call outs there. Number one, it's a rear view mirror. It's what's happened in the last 12 months or the last three years or whatever. Uh, secondly, it's a suburb. And there are some suburbs that have a lot of sales, but most don't. So there's a lot of volatility there. And a lot of them have a distribution that's all over the place. You might pick on a beachside suburb. You've got one market that sits along the beachside and another market that sits away from the beach. So there's all of these suburbs where medians can't be trusted. Exactly. And that leads me to the next point of how we actually, I guess, break down the science. And this is what we'll look to do over the next you know, few parts of this episode. And and how I've liked to break it down is into something called influences and indicators. And so when I think of market influences, I think of the three words that we can use as a cop-out to get out of uh, any conversation if we're a little bit lost with what's happening at the property table. And that is good old demand and supply and confidence. So with market influences, demand, supply, confidence, these are 
what really causes the shift in capital growth, what drives it. But then when it comes to actually knowing how much of anything is occurring, what is occurring, and is it really showing that strength, this is when indicators come in. Measures. Measures. And so this is where, you know, I start to talk about cause versus effect. And so causes could be that infrastructure project. Cause could be that job. Population growth. Population growth. There you go. Internal migration. All the things that we can easily talk about. But the problem is, when will the effect show? And so when I think of the effect, all three of those influences need to come together for that effect to show. And that demand alone of population growth or migration or infrastructure projects is just one of those three. And so this is where we talk about data a lot because unless that data is dialing up, that effect may not be showing. And so rather than go, I feel it's the population growth that causes it, or I feel it's those you know, combination of infrastructure projects or, or overseas migration or what the news was saying, we start to bring it down to, hey, all those great things could be happening, but if it's not showing in the data, mm. is it really moving somewhere? And so this kind of leads me to going through, I guess, what's really happening out there at the moment. You know, why don't we start applying some of this real estate science and talk about some of the trends we're seeing out in the market. So what are you seeing at the moment, Ken? I think the big trends that we saw earlier on happened in the rental space. And there's a bit of a flow on effect, obviously, people jumping from that rental or the rental data seems to be correlating a lot more with the sales data in many regions. So the first thing we probably saw as a result of COVID, which is still here, was the inner CBD markets and the rental vacancy rates surging. So obviously we lost the students, they weren't there and a lot of people moved back with Ma and Pa. So vacancy rates jumped up very, very big in the CBD, but the opposite has happened in the regions. So that's a a fascinating thing to see this trend towards the regions or the commutable lifestyle locations, as I like to call them. And we saw that initially in the rental data and that probably put that down to a couple of things. There may be some long-term renters obviously moving up, but equally people looking to get out of the city moving into the regions, renting first before they buy so they get a feel for it because it's a, a, a long drive, you know, two or three hours to go to an open house. So typically a number of people obviously doing that. And so we're seeing a bit of a rental crisis occurring in a lot of the regions across Australia. And I think the second big trend, it was already happening, was the limitations or the limit of supply. So we'd seen year on year on year a decline in the number of listings. And that's continued on. And I think near the last 12 months, it's looking like it's a probably a 15% drop. So when you add all of that up, obviously the headlines are saying housing market booming from a price perspective, not booming for a real estate agent or a buyer's agent looking for stock, looking for a listing, because they make their money on buying a property, right? If there's a properties are not out there, it hurts the industry. So there's not a lot of inventory out there. There's not a lot of supply out there. So the demand might be there and we can see that in our metrics. But what we are seeing is a, a significant fall in listings activity, sales activity. And that drop, there's always a pro and con to everything, right? And I think you touched on to both some of the pros and cons. One is the headlines that can now start to change. And, and headlines kind of suck if you ask me, yep. right? The change from everything's catastrophic, everything's falling over to all of a sudden, 
This is Boomtown. Same newspaper, you know, between two or three day break can go from saying one thing about the market to the opposite. And it does, it's a pet peeve that I've got in that, you know, it's about sensational headlines. It's about clickbait and not fact. So I think ultimately though, they've got a job. Their job is to get people to read an article or click through to an article. The beautiful thing about podcasts is you can go deep and you can set your own agenda. So that's what we're doing here. And this is, you know, going deep into that rental data. Now, you know, when I think of a rental crisis, Mm. I'm imagining two things happening, the pros and cons. And from the data, what we can see here is, and for anyone wondering, what are we looking at? You can visit thepropertynerds.com.au slash data slash hub. So the data hub you know, we've got a whole range of free tools there for you to use. And and what we're looking at is one of our charts called vacancy rates. And just in front of me, I mean, the amount of regions across Australia that have a vacancy rate starting with a zero in front. It's phenomenal. It's huge. So what is a vacancy rate? It's probably a good question. The vacancy rate's measured a few different ways, but generally our interpretation is if a property's been listed for three weeks or more, a rental property's been listed for three weeks or more, it's a vacant property, right? Not making money. So typically what we do is we count those up. We display that count on the data hub. But what we then do is express that as a ratio of how many properties in that suburb or in that region are managed by real estate agents. So that's our metric. How many of those properties in the region are vacant and how many rental properties are there managed by real estate agents? And that's the percentage. That's our vacancy rate. And typically what we're finding across the regions, most housing, most regardless of whether it's in the cities or in the regions, housing is extremely low for vacancy rates. The spots that are high for vacancy rates are pretty much high density. So we've seen across areas, I've got Gosford up in front of me just as an example. It's just plummeted. So the rapid shift down happened about a year ago. So it was you know, up a, around 5% a year ago. Then it just started to plummet and it just jumped down and it hit you know, about four or five months ago, it hit below 1%. So we're just seeing this massive, and that's very typical of many of these areas. So you know, we're looking at many locations like a Gosford below 1%. And so there's a part of it that not many people talk about though. And, you know, I want to bring this to light and you've touched it on in conversations with me with regards to A, there's the positive part. Yay, finding tenants. Yay, getting higher rental dollars. Yes. But then there's a lot of displacement within communities that's happening, right? Well, I think there comes a point where it becomes a zero-sum game. And I think when people are hurting – it's a problem for everybody. You know, yes, you've got an investment properly. You want it tenanted. But the flip side of the coin is when markets get to where they are now, we've got a rental crisis and there's not enough community houses out there. I think even with the 12,000 or whatever properties was announced to be built through New South Wales, I think we're still below 5% community housing, public housing. And you compare and contrast that to, say, the United States. They call them multi-family dwellings. Mm. I think they call it multi-family. So of their multi-family marketplace, which is pretty much anything multiple dwelling unit type thing, they my back of the envelope had it close to about 10% of them were subsidised or our equivalent of what we would call community housing. So we've got a long way to go 
before we shelter people in need and do it at a a rate of knots that can actually house families and keep them away from homelessness. It's a bit of a problem. Mm. That's where I'm at. So there's a flip side to all of this, that it's not just this callous investment strategy discussion. There are people out there missing out on rental properties with nowhere to go. And then if you now flip it over to the other part, inner CBD apartments, Yeah, we've seen- a rapid increase in vacancy rates here. So yeah. they're going the other way. And I can just tell you from personal stories, from what I hear from you know, investors that I speak with, I'm not talking a $10 decrease, she'll be right, $20, oh, market's a bit tough. I'm talking upwards of $100 off, in rental decrease. Off your rental. Off and, your it's, rental. and it hasn't really kicked in yet because it's got a long way to go before those vacancy rates dip a lot. Now, we've seen that dip in Sydney. We can see some price corrections happening to lure tenants back in. Still got some way to go, but Melbourne's an interesting one. It seems to me that Melbourne hasn't really reacted yet. The prices haven't moved when you consider how many thousands of properties in and around Melbourne City are vacant right now. A long way to go. That is a huge way to go. And I think this has the spotlight on on apartment investing overall right now. Yeah, well... That was interesting because I've always played a fairly even hand between units and houses. But when well, when we met, you were pretty much only doubling down on houses for your clients, right? Yeah. I Over the last 12 months with everything that I've seen, you know, the high density areas equal high risk effectively in all the metrics we're looking at, including inventory levels in the CBD. So the unit markets are looking bad across the board to the point where Look, effectively, I would classify units as a bad investment. Look, I ditto, right? And for those that are holding them at the moment, there is one side of it which I see building approvals are likely and have been falling in that space. They've they've been a huge reduction. Enough? I don't think so. I think we've got a long time before we start seeing people go, hey, I'm starting to see my values in my inner CBD apartments kick back up. There's a lot of concrete trucks and cranes outside the office here. Mm. You know, we're in North Sydney right now. There's a lot of stuff going up. And I'm seeing flyers up in Parramatta just uh, on the way here, seeing family as well. Flyers are all over about new apartments coming up. So, yeah, I mean, that is a hot topic, you know, with regards to rents. There is two sides of it. Where there is high demand, somewhere someone has left. Yeah. And this is the two sides. We've got our region markets performing extremely strong, and then we've also got our you know, apartments that are seeing a lot of impact and large rental declines. So my crystal ball's telling me that we're going to find a lot of community housing moving into those vacant units and acquiring them. That's my crystal ball for 2021. A lot of vacant properties or unsold new stock moving into the community housing space. Interesting. Now, other things to talk about. Let's go through our data hub. I think there's a lot of free insights here, and and I just want to make sure that we give a shout out to what's available, how it works. And so as investors are hearing, hey, you know, the science of property investing, who are the nerds, what's happening out there, what are some of the different things we can talk to in this data hub? I think our hero piece here is the suburb search. So it's our first feature on the data hub. So we've got the suburb there. What's in that? We've got some census data in there. Now, the census data, I think most people know it's a few years old now, but as a relative metric, it's still obviously very powerful. We won't have the next census. I think, when's the next census? This year. 
I think it's later this year. Anyway, what we've got in the suburb level data is it'll enter in your suburb and a little light box, a little pop-up box shows. It'll tell you the average household, weekly income, family, a household, what proportion of the neighbourhood or the suburb are family households. The split between property types, so detached houses, townhouses and villas, units and apartments. An interesting point here, I just wonder while we're talking about data, is the ABS throw in the terrace houses into that second category of townhouse villa. So that's a bit of a problem because from a property speak, we're talking about strata, but when you throw in terrace houses, we're talking about freehold. So it's a, a bit of a, a conundrum for the property nerds talking about townhomes and villas. When we're talking about it from an ABS perspective, it does include terrace homes. So you mentioned it, you were in Newtown, you know, it's pretty much a suburb made up of terrace homes. Fully owned, tenure fully owned and being purchased and rented. Big metrics for us, big metrics. That's a big key indicator for risk. So you'll find traditionally a lot of banks, a lot of mortgage insurers, a lot of valuers, look at the percentage of properties that are rental properties in a suburb. So the tenure rented is big, but there's another one that's really interesting, fully owned. When markets become under pressure because of economic conditions, the fully owned comes into its own as a model because they don't have a mortgage, they've got money. So it's, mm. a, it's a great lead indicator of stability. So that's why we've thrown those in. Now we're moving into the trends data. What do we have in there? Inventory. Now we talk about inventory, we will be talking about inventory a lot. What is it? It's a, a hypothetical metric that says, if no other property listed today in that suburb, how long would it take to clear everything that's currently listed? So for example, if I've got 100 properties listed and the average is 10 sales a month, 100 divided by 10 is 10 months of stock, right? So that's, that's a lot, by the way. <laughs> that's a lot. But I look, it's easy for me to remember 100 divided by 10. But effectively, what we do is we'll talk about inventory. And generally speaking, a hot market is a really low inventory level. So if you get it you know, below three, it's really hot. You know, Below five, it's hot. Five to seven months, generally speaking, is a bit of a balanced market. And then when you get above that seven or eight mark, you start to see downward pressure in price. So we will talk about that a lot. So typically, the two key metrics you want is what is it today, but what was it a year ago? So what's the underlying trend? So there's a couple of there. I might take a breather and I'm going to throw it over to you, Arjun. So next we move into days on market. And in the simplest way I can talk about this is speed to sell. And so again, the now versus 12 months ago, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of markets across Australia, the house specifically, see that decline. We then go into the listing price, so list price median. And again, we've talked about median data before. However, by surrounding it with so many other pieces, this is where you can see a clearer picture. Now, we've looked at this both for rents and prices, so listing price, lease price, and then we start going into the similar data sets for the rental as well as the unit market. Now, if we're wondering what the rent shows, we look into what we call leases over 21-day listings. So simply put, I like to call them stale listings. Mm. You've been on the market, you've been there for longer than three weeks, and we're looking for that change now versus 12 months ago, vacancy rates now versus 12 months ago. And so, Kent, I've actually just popped up an example and I'll just shout out a suburb and and you know we've got the Manly West suburb in the eastern oh, suburbs of Brisbane. Up at Brizzy. One of your favorite spots, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I actually had uh, fish and chips out that way a few a few months ago before I went into my 
vegetarian diet. I think it was one of my last few meals. Manly West, 4179. <laughs> there it is. Wow. And, and looking at the trends here, I mean, if I was to turn what we see and what we've just gone through in a paragraph, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing inventory levels at very low levels now, mm-hmm. 2.71. So for listeners, a low amount of stock equals high pressure. Mm. That's dropped down from inventory levels of 3.01, which is already quite low yes. um, this time last year. So getting stronger. Usually, we tend to see days on market follow along, and that picture is quite clear. We're seeing a reduction from 57 down to 41. Now, if you look at his day count, you know, if I've done my math right, that's 16. However, that's a big percentage when you take it against 57. So a 16 move is quite large. We're also seeing prices trend up from the last 12 months now. Mm. Rents are steady, but that rent steadiness might change to rent strength because if we go right down, vacancy rates have dropped from 2.72 down to 0.16, and the count of stale listings have dropped from this time last year of 17 down to one. So there's one property that's vacant. Pretty much. (laughs) Another metric I like there is the split of properties that are detached. So you've got close to 80%. So it's a low density area. I like that. I think another metric of of interest is the percentage of properties that are rentals, 24% or 24.4. So it's a little bit below the national average. I think, you know, I think now probably evenly split, right? About a third, a third, a third. Yeah. A third are rented, a third are with a mortgage and a third are fully owned. And it's always nice to look at it and say, is this area below that 30-odd, 33% mark? And it's a lower proportion of rental property. So if you're targeting that as a, an investment opportunity, that would be one of several measures you would like to look at. Exactly. And so that kind of wraps up the suburb trend space. And you, know, you can plot in any suburb, get all this insights for free. And now if we move on to some of the others, we touched on vacancy rates before, but we've also got our market risk. Could you give us some insights on what that is? Sure. So market risk is a a map done at, we mentioned it earlier, the statistical area three, SA3. So we group it together and then we've created a heat map. And what we do is we're primarily scoring it based on inventory. So this is once you aggregate all of the properties that are listed for sale on average, how many average listings there are, how many average sales there are for that region. And we express that as an inventory metric, how many months of stock or how many months of inventory. So what we do is we split it up, SA3s. Each state is displayed separately, so it doesn't take too much time to render up on the page. So we split it up state by state, and you just click through each one. The first one up is New South Wales, and I'm looking at Gosford now. So Gosford is not only a suburb, but it's actually an SA3 as well. And we've classified it as house risk very low because the inventory level is below two months. That's for the entire SA3. So that's for houses only. We're just looking at houses. I think obviously a lot of this is born of our view, our shared view, that right now we're not interested in apartments. Correct. Uh, Totally agree. And coming back to that inventory point and those measures, that is our starting and core point for risk. Because if we look at that domino effect, Low inventory tends to be faster selling, tends to be the less requirement for a vendor to go, let me discount my place, and tends to be more seagulls fighting for the chip. Yeah. And so that's when it comes down to those areas of, hey, it might not be too difficult to sell here, but at the same time, 
it's likely that prices are going to see upwards pressure. Mm. And so that takes us on to the next measure. And we've got price segments. So someone who doesn't get what price segments mean, what, what does this mean, Ken? Yeah, well, price segments is a, an interesting one. Typically, a lot of people would buy into an area and not really think about the risk of overcapitalization. So if you're buying into an area and you're buying in that absolute top end of the market, there's not a lot of room there to add value to the property other than market improvement. So typically what we like to do is segment up the market into certain price brackets. How, what percentage is in this lower end, what percentage in the higher end is split up multiple ways. And what you can quickly, quickly see is by entering your sub, but let's, I'm going to pick on Gosford again. Okay, so here we go. I'm, I'm going to put in Gosford. So houses, I'm pulling up uh, houses here. The bulk of houses are in that 400 to 600K bracket. But then you've got areas like, say, Forester's Beach, nearby where you've got prices that go all the way up to over $2 million. And you can kind of see the distribution of prices. The other advantage of this price segmentation chart is it tells you how much you can trust or not trust a median. That's a key one. And we've seen some beach towns, like I think, you know, up your way in Newcastle, we had an example, we were chatting around uh, Meriwether. Yeah. And you'll see some price segments sitting there with over the $2 million mark. And then all of a sudden you see some in the you know, sub 1 million mark. As an investor, you can't trust medians looking at that, can you? No. So the, over $2 million, there's 20% of the property sales are over 2 mil. Yet you've got your next common bracket is way down in that 800 to 1 mil mark. There's you know, 17%. So you can see how medians can bounce around a lot because it wouldn't take too much shift in what's listed for sale to determine what sells, which determines what the price distribution. So it's a suburb, an example of the price segmentation or price distribution that I wouldn't trust a median at all. I'm just imagining someone in Meriwether looking and scrolling and, you know, you hit the refresh on your app and you go, what? I just grew 10%. (laughs) And then you refresh it. Honey, pack my bags. We just lost 15% now. So that's what median data is going to do. And I guess price segments can serve one other key part of your investing journey is when we see a common bracket, see a high proportion of activity. It actually also means that say, if you've got five brackets, you know, up to 2 million, but you see a very high proportion in one to 1.2, a good amount of comparable sales. Well, it's a statistically safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. If you're relying on statistics, pick the stuff around the middle, it'll likely behave. And that's a a good example to talk about yields for just a moment because a lot of the published yields are based on what the median house price is and what the median house price is for rents Mm. and you compare the two medians. But what if you buy a property that's really cheap, Mm. not at the median, way down, you know, a one-bedroom house or a one-bedroom unit? It's below the median. So you can't necessarily depend on a median to determine the yield, you need to really look at the property specific data. Now, if you can't get a a rental estimate specifically for the property and a sale price specifically for the property, your fallback is a stratified median. What is the one bedroom median for the house or a two bedroom median for houses, etc. So that's your next bet. So if you're doing a quick search when you're looking around and trying to understand yields, be careful. Be careful because of this price distribution thing. Investors, be careful. And, um, you know, if we look at our last few charts here, we've got internal migration and labor markets. Yes, what we've done with, well, internal migration is just one of those uh, government publications. I don't think it's refreshed yet. So that's interesting. One of the um, 
the key metrics we picked up on that was Melbourne was just surging and surging. You know, this is the inner Melbourne regions. And I'm just pulling it up now. This is divided by greater capital city. Mm. And um, you can see that there's been an exodus. So, you know, the internal migration estimates are telling us that the cities, you know, Sydney, Melbourne especially, Melbourne was growing, growing and growing, and then something happened. And then there's been a big dip. So, you know, up through to middle that quarter of June 2020, there was nearly 8,000. That's a big shift. Minus 8,000. I thought that they had the best coffees. Well, they do. They're still That hasn't changed. But just, just an interesting shift. And then if you go to the rest of Victoria, for example, where a lot of them would go, there's been a, an upward shift there. But I think a lot of them bypassed New South Wales altogether and went straight for the Sunshine Coast. Mm. So I think Sunshine Coast is doing rather well because of this COVID thing. Yeah, these migration trends have been very interesting. And, and especially with the overseas borders shut, it just makes it, you know, more important for us to see what's happening internally. Yeah. And so we've got the labor markets now, job creation, job activity, very important to investors. Yeah, but look, there's something in this data that I think is a bit smelly in that I think the to be classified as a job, I think it's how many hours a week? One hour, doesn't it? One hour, it? that was a Dorothy Dix question. <laughs> but it's that's a bit crappy, right? So it I is. think I'll, if for this to be a really good metric in our models – our machine learning models and nerdy stuff, hours worked down to an SA3 or an SA2 would be just so good. Hey, government person, please help me. But this one hour stuff, I'm, you know, hey, it's the best we got, but it's crap. Talk about work-life balance with an hour of work, right? How good would hey, that be? I'm in. <laughs> now, the next two are my favorite, particularly sales listings, rental listings, because yeah. what I feel is more important as an impactor is not a couple of thousand of people that came in, came out, you know, because a lot of building happens and sometimes it's it's hard to match all of those up perfectly. To me, what I feel is one of the greatest impactors is simply how many listings are popping up. Well, the volumes are down, so we can see that. So, you know, there's been a significant downward shift year on year on year and that probably the greatest shift has been the last 12 months. So obviously, a lot of people are just sitting tight, not doing much. We can understand the reasons why, but I think there's a standout here. It's a big driver of the inventory metric, so we've got very, very low inventory levels, and the bulk of that is being driven by the fact that there's a lack of supply. But the flip side of all of this as well is it's not just driving the inventory, which puts upward pressure and price. It's impacting the industry. You know, because if a real estate agent can't get a listing and can't get a sale, they don't get a commission. So it does hurt them. It hurts a buyer's agent like you. If you can't find stock, you don't make money. So that's probably the flip side of this argument. Yeah. And uh, with that flip side, I guess, for investors listening, you know, they always love a few locations being shouted out and I don't mind sharing the goods. So I guess, you know, hearing this listings trend and that falling, we've done a bit of a deep dive on Victoria and New South Wales, and in particular the regions, because they've been hot topic of late. So I've counted a few regions here, seven in total, I believe. And these seven regions, so we've got the Wangaratta region. Mm-hmm. We've got Wodonga, Warrnambool, Shepparton, the Mornington Peninsula. I've counted that as a region, even though it's just a, a lovely part of Melbourne, extended Melbourne. Latrobe Valley, Bendigo are the seven regions that are showing a sharp and big move 
in terms of declining listings trends. So I would pretty much say for those who are from the area or those who've been looking at the area, there's a high chance that you're seeing high pressure in some of these markets, especially with the drop in listings. And um, as for New South Wales, there was a huge count. I counted close to 18 sub-regions. Right. Yeah. That is massive. Regional New South Wales are seeing a big shift. Now, in terms of you know the regions over there, we've got a massive change across some of our you know parts of Orange, Port Macquarie, Quinbian. Hope I've said that Queen right. Quinbian. Quinbian. Wyong. Yeah. Wagga Wagga. See, I used to say Wagga Wagga. Oh, so no. Ken, uh, I was Ken's, so embarrassed. Yeah, Ken's corrected me on that one. We've got the Hunter Valley region, Tamworth, Shoalhaven, Newcastle, Maitland, Lithgow and Mudgee. Wine's good out that way. And uh, we've got Lake Macquarie West. So any of these terms, guys, just remember that we've got SA3 as the regions that we're using, which is the statistical area three. And then we've got Lake Macquarie East, Kayama. The list goes on. We've got 18. Gosford you were talking about, Dubbo, Coffs Harbour, Albury. This is a whole bunch of regions. and They're all surging. And I think what we did see initially, though, was that shift in rents. Yes. So, you know, there was a, a big change, dramatic change to vacancy rates. Uh, we saw that about six to nine months ago. Uh, that was the leading indicator. Now we're seeing some other things such as a drop in inventory, drop in, in available listings. So where does that take us for 2021, Ken? I'm sure everyone's interested to hear what our thoughts are with 25 regions just across two states yeah. falling. Well, we can't see around corners. So that's, we don't know what we don't know. So all things equal is a, a common statement we like to use is based on what we can see today, based on what we know today, inventory levels are very, very low. And what we typically find as a general guide is for every month that you have that those ultra, ultra tight conditions, you can see you know, 1% or 2% increase in price. So you can see some ongoing price. That's a very loose correlation, but that's kind of based on true correlation of for every month that you've got inventory levels down below that three mark or down below the four mark, you are seeing a consistent upward pressure on price that can actually be formulated. There we have it, the 2021, the year of low stock, the year of low house stock, should I add. Yes. Right. Apartments, you've heard from us on, on our thoughts on that. But in terms of the Property Nerds podcast, this is episode one. And, you know, we've hoped that listeners have been able to, you know, have a look into, I guess, our different charts, different things that we've got. Again, that's for free on the Property Nerds Data Hub, rental listings, sales trends, migration, employment, and a whole lot more. You've also heard from us on on some basics of the science of property investing and We'll continue to go deeper into that. But what can guests expect ahead from tuning into the Property Nerds, Ken? Well, one of the things I do want to double down on is headlines. So we want to pick out some headlines. We don't want to pick on editors or journos, but we're going to pick on some headlines and pull them apart, see if there's some hard fact behind them. So that's going to be one of the things that I, I'm very much looking forward to. I think the other thing too is to pick up on some key government data releases and talk about those data releases, especially where they pertain to a geography or an area, and we can talk about the impact that, that may have on the housing market. I'm also looking forward to sharing the mic with a few others. As much as I love you, Kent, mm. there are some other interesting voices out there. Prettier, smarter. <laughs> That's good. And so we're going to be sharing the mic with, you know, other who we call fellow nerds, 
whether they be property valuers, other researchers, and market analysts, and even speaking to where the data matches with on the ground, property managers, those people who just really see it all happen. Love to share the mic with them. And then lastly, we'll really make sure that we do what the nerds do, which is dive into the data and really you know, break it down to regions that we like, what's happening and what we don't like. And for those who do have places there, please don't feel offended. We're just reading the books, seeing what's out there and just giving you honest thoughts. Now, I've got some exciting news to finish up on. The top 20 investing regions report. The report. What do we have there, Kent? It's done. Yes, that's been several months of work. It's been interesting. So that is now out and that is on our website, thepropertynerds.com.au. You can grab yourself a copy. It's a premium report. There are over 140 pages. This is across 20 of the top regions across the country where Kent and I feel are likely to have a very solid 2021. And we've looked at these markets for a few different things, price points to give you a mix, regions and locations to give you a mix, as well as the key data points, which some of which we've talked here. So if you're interested, go check that out. And thank you for tuning in to episode one of the Property Notes. That's great, Arjun. Thank you. Game over.